can you give us an idea um, how such a mediation works? I know we can't go into all details, but like a broad idea how long, how the process design works, is there a... Well, it depends on the project. You know, if you focus on one project, I mean, you can have some kind of time frame, but you have to establish what are the principles you're trying to respect here and what is the process that you're trying to put in place and how is the process going to make sure that the principles you're trying to achieve are going to be respected. And I love very much the idea of creating a safe space, which is not a permanent structure. It, you can appoint a neutral party with a team on point, you know, I mean, in in times of need. They don't need to be there all year round, but you need to establish this kind of dialogue where trust is becoming a given. And of course, as you know very well, trust is something that's built. You don't have trust just because you show up and you say, okay, we're going to have this project, everybody is going to trust us. No, you earn your trust. And that's why people have to feel that the space is safe in the sense that they can come and tell their stories. Human rights offenders can come and meet. Representatives of the corporations and the states can be there. Union representatives can be there. Community leaders can be there. And everybody is looking at a project and say, well, why is that a good project for our land or our country? And if it is a good project, it has to include us. So we have to be part of the development of this project. And if the project is good for green transition, it's, it's even more important to ensure that all parties feel that they have a say, they have a role to play, they will be taken into account. And they, I mean, I, I call it make them your partner. They have to be your partner. They're not just people you're trying to, to shut down or eliminate or quiet down. They mm -hmm. have to be partners. So I'll give you an example. I mean, I was working on a case for a bank about electricity. They were trying to develop electricity in a region. They had FPIC population covered by ILO 169, which means recognize indigenous people. And they had other group of people around the same area who were not indigenous recognized people, but they'd been there for centuries. And they were living in peace with the indigenous people. So I was telling the, the company, if you just give their rights to the indigenous people, because you have to, and you ignore the other people, you're going to have social unrest. So it's much better to expand and include all the players around in your project. You're going to be the winner in the end. Of course, it's going to take more time. It's going to be more costly. But if you create two regimes, it's going to be... Uh, much more expensive in the end. In the end, yeah you're going to have a lot of social unrest. Mm -hmm. And so that means you um, also advise, you become a mediator, trust advisor, something in... in well, that was not as the role of a mediator. Yeah. I was a legal advisor okay. in that mm. case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you become the mediator in a case like that, you have to look at all these factors. Mm -hmm. You have mm -hmm. to see who are all the players in this project. And in my opinion, you have to be as inclusive as possible. That's, as you know, not everybody's approach. That's true, and it's a so-called multi-stakeholder engagement yeah, process. Yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned green transition. That is, of course, one of the key trigger words at the moment. And governments say, yes, we, we need to have a transition, and it needs to happen. 
but I think the big question is how. <laughs> and it's the same. It's the same thing. I mean, there, the interesting thing is that there was a just transition declaration that was adopted in Glasgow in the fall of 2021. More than 30 nations, including core coal-producing countries, signed that declaration. That includes the U.S., the United Kingdom, the 27 EU member states, Norway, Canada, New Zealand. And it follows on pledge made at the summit by more than 40 countries to shift away from coal. So they say, okay, we're going to shift away from coal. So what do we do? We have that declaration committing to strategies that ensure that workers, business, and communities are supported, supported as countries transition to green economy. That statement agreed that the UN Climate Change Conference in Scotland recognized the need to ensure that no one is left behind, which to me is key. In that transition, you don't want to leave people behind as you try to achieve the net zero economy, particularly the working people in cities and regions reliant on carbon intensive industries and production. So that guideline is reflective of of guidelines that were adopted in 2015 by ILO, and it outlines the necessary steps towards well-managed, environmentally sustainable economies and societies. So it's, it's a set of principles, it's a set of process, and it's a practice. And it always has to have in mind inclusiveness, mm -hmm. engagement and inclusiveness. This is not the way we're thinking usually about development. We will do it in a very focused way, you know, in some publicly funded development projects, whether it's DFID or Agence Française de Développement or USAID, but it's not done systematically. And now we're talking about something that has to be done systematically, because mm -hmm. you're going to change lives drastically. And I think I remember Franz Timmerman saying, there's either just transition or there's no transition. Yeah, exactly. So, so if you don't find a way to engage in just transition, there will be no transition. It will be a big mess, if not a big revolt of people. People are living so much day to day. They have so much difficulties making ends meet. We see it right now with the prices with Russia, that the rising prices of gas and oil is having a huge impact on people. And it's very hard for government to convince them, well, this is good for peace. Mm. I mean, it's like they always have to make the sacrifice. I mean, the, the big and powerful people don't make much of a sacrifice, and they're the one trying to push it down. And in just transition for climate, I mean, it's we're talking about long term. I mean, this is like changing the whole economy. So we have technology, which I believe is probably much more ready than we think to produce a lot of changes. But technology alone is not enough. If you have all the people against it, it's not going to work. And we need both. We need the people and the technology. And I think, as we all saw from the report of the, um, I don't know how you say GIEC in English, it's IP, um, IPPC or ICPP, anyway. It's, the report came out 10 days ago, and it was very dire. It was very dark. Again, I mean, I understand environmentalists, they want it to happen tomorrow or today if possible, but they have to just pause and say, how do we make that happen, making sure that it's done 
as smoothly as possible and as successfully as possible because if you start and then you have to stop all the time it's going to be both very costly and it's going to fail so what do you think are the competing interests and perspectives we need to reconcile well i mean you have the industry and the industry is very much focused on profit profit profitability Some are starting to be also focused on sustainability and sometimes they're not synonymous. I mean, you can be sustainable, but you won't necessarily be as profitable in the short term. At the same time as you have all these human issues of surviving in difficult circumstances, of ensuring that you replace your actual means of earning a living by new means and that you do live into a land that's safe with safe water and safe air and that you're given ways to survive, I mean, to ensure your livelihood while respecting your human rights. So these are often competing mm -hmm. and that's where the challenge is. And that's why you need to bring around the table representatives from governments, from corporations, from communities, union and human rights defenders all around the table. You know, human rights defenders, for example, in matters of environment and human rights in Central America are very active in protecting local communities and indigenous people. And they're seen by some corporations as the enemies preventing the project to move forward because they're constantly trying to ask questions and ensuring that things are not done the way they're done. And I tell these people, you should consider these human rights defenders first because they're so courageous and, and usually honest as your partner because they will tell you what's happening on the ground. And if you work with them, you have a good chance of being much more successful than fighting them, fighting up to having them killed at times. You know, many environmentalists have been killed in Central America because they were opposing some dam or some mine or some projects that were being proposed. On, on lines that were very unfriendly to the communities. So it's really um, a change of mind set. And that's what business and human rights is all about. It's really about making sure that the project respects communities, that it is taking into account stakeholders that are involved in the project, not just the human rights, not just the due diligence to the corporate interest. That's the big change of paradigm. Corporations are used to looking at what is a risk for me. What are the risk factor? I'm going to look at the risk factor. But business and human rights is telling you, no, this is not what you have to do. Of course, you can continue doing that. This is your job. I mean, of course, we know that you have a board, you have shareholders, you have to show that you're profitable. But you're, you're, we're demanding that you respect human rights and the environment. And for that, you have to do a different kind of due diligence. You have to map the risk. You have to understand what's happening in the environment of that project and with the people. And this might cost you more money, but that's the only way you'll be sustainable. So you have real, that's where it meets. And as you know, we have now that European directive on human rights and environment where corporations are going to be forced to do that as of probably 2023. So that's where mediation can play a key role by facilitating dialogue of all these actors and making sure they understand they have to come together. 
Well, so what would you say for, um, if you say that, that there will be a need for mediators, facilitators who are experienced and who have knowledge obviously in the area as well of engagement, mm -hmm. what would you recommend mediators to focus on now who want to be involved in that arena in the future? Well, as you know, we re recently had an experience of ILO mediation that uh, that came about. It was a, a German group that put that together. I'm not going to give names here because it's kind of semi-confidential. I mean, but it was about media mediating conflicts with workers in Southeast Asia and employers in, in China and Bangladesh. And that came about with keywords. They, they found mediators through keywords. And it gave me the idea, I mean, if they can find people through keywords, we have keywords here where people should start looking at mediation, like climate. Everybody is interested in climate, so what do these people have to say about climate? Well, then you have climate, you have mediation. Then you have mediation towards just transition. Then you have big footprint projects. Then you have community that are affected by big footprint projects. So. I believe with a few keywords that are well-defined on, on an online platform with a group of mediators coming together, there is going to be plenty of opportunity to develop this model. And each mediator brings his own experience. We're not all the same. I mean, some will be more technical than others. Some will have real corporate experience. Some will have more like governmental engagement experience or community. I think we all need to come together. So it's, that a, sense. it's actually a cooperation project, so mediation, as I hear it for specifically that sector, is more a cooperation project than a sole trader, mediator, commercial. It's a uh, platform. I mean, what I'm trying to do, I mean, and, and you're helping me today by, by giving me this opportunity, is create a platform to bring like-minded people, not, as I said, necessarily with the same training or the same mindset in terms of of their expertise, but to bring like-minded people to tackle these issues together and offer either specific services, long-term services, a reflection on these issues, but to get started as quickly as possible and starting to deal with these issues, which are so pressing. Mm -hmm. Of course, we all feel intimidated by the war right now, and we all feel, I mean, is there anything that can go ahead as we're dealing with this horrible war? But I think, in a way, we owe it to the Ukrainians to keep going because they're really showing us the way of, of courage. They're fighting for, for freedom, they're fighting for a better world, and we have to keep fighting ourselves to try to say, well, we're all in it together. We all want to have a better planet. We all want to have better leaders. We all want to have more engagement and, and more peace. So I think it, it it works together. It's hard to find a zone of comfort right now in the middle of that war. I mean, we're all shaken up by that war. And I, I think we're all looking for our footing. But I think we need to take a deep breath and, and say, yes, this is... I'm in touch with your people in Ukraine. They know I'm working on that. And they're all telling me, yes, go for it. This is a great project. I mean, this, I think this war is one of the biggest environmental disasters we can imagine. I mean, this, this country is going to have to be rebuilt and it's going to take so long and it's in terms of emission, in terms of ruin, in terms of waste, it's, 
it's awful. We won't talk about the bombing of nuclear uh, power yeah. plants. But uh, so I, not alone that we have to can guarantee a transition to more green energy, we also have to fight with the consequences of wars, yes. or as you say, our ecological disaster. Absolutely. And, and what I'm hearing as well is that people play a lead role in the transition. So it's Pe taking the people with you. It's not just about, um, I think there are a lot of technical new terms running around like the, um, as you mentioned, the FPIC, the free and prior informed consent, but also the social licenses for Companies. Well, the social license is in the same family, you know. Social yeah. license means just like in the Rio Tinto, they had the legal license to operate, they had the legal permit, they could go ahead with the project. But the social license is having the community agreeing that this project is good for them and granting the 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 permission, if I can see, that to the corporation and the government to go ahead. And if you stop working with the people, you lose the social license. You lose your legitimacy. You lose your the, the support of the community for the project. So then it becomes a conflict zone. It can become an economic conflict zone. It can degenerate into a bigger conflict. But that's how you create conflict. Mm 